0: Obviously, there are a lot of questions surrounding the Bearcats offense heading into 2023, but I'm going to tell you why I think the offense might be better than what you think. Our Locked On Bearcats, your daily podcast on the Cincinnati Bearcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, thanks so much for making Lockdown Bearcats your first listen every day. It's free and available everywhere that you get your podcasts, including right here on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to our Lockdown Bearcats YouTube channel. Follow it too to get an alert every time that we drop a new episode. My name is Alex Frank, your host, each and every day, right here on Lockdown Bearcats. We're of course part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team, every <clears throat> excuse me, every single day. So the Cincinnati Bearcats offense heading into 2023, it's going to be I think a season where it gets better as the season goes on. I don't think this offense comes out and scores 60 points or 40 points right away. Like last year's offense did. I think this offense takes some growing pains. I think by the end of the season, they could be hitting their stride, but not so much in week four against Oklahoma or even week five against BYU. I think this offense is going to take some time. There's too many questions, but I still think it's going to be better than what some of you might think. I'm not saying this offense is going to be like 2021 or 2020, but I am saying that it could be better than last year's offense. Last year's offense was not very good. I mean, let's call it for what it is. I understand they averaged close to 30 points a game. It didn't feel like 30 points a game. Excuse me. I mean, they, they didn't hit 30 points after week Five. They, listen, this offense, that offense in 2022 was not very good by what we've seen in 2021 and 2020. This year, however, I think it's going to be better. Can this team score more than 29.2 points per game? Maybe not scoring. But certainly they can average more than 372.4 yards a game. That is where I think this offense is going to be better. If you're only averaging 372.4 yards a game, in the NFL, that's great. In college football, I feel like it's not. Because college football today is all about, do you have that dynamic offense? Can you run the ball? Can you throw? Can you play on the perimeter? Do you have speed? That's what college football is all about. And I'm telling you right now that the Bearcats last year didn't have that. They didn't have some of those elements. They couldn't run the ball. They could throw, but it was a struggle. They weren't dynamic. They weren't even offensively. It was a struggle for the Cincinnati Bearcats to move the ball offensively. They hit a lot of big plays. But in terms of sustaining drives, in terms of time of possession, they weren't very good at that. This Bearcats team might be better at that because of their ability to run the football. I think that's where you're going to see the most improvement. Now, that does depend on who the starting quarterback is. If it's Ben Bryant, I'm not sure if this offense is going to be that good at running the football. But if I asked you, can this Bearcats team average more than 129.7 yards per game on the ground? I think the answer is a very very easy yes. I don't see how this team doesn't run the football better than last year's than last year's team. I really don't. There, because I look at what Scott Satterfield has done with running with running offenses over the years in his head coaching career, both at Louisville and at App State. Last year, Louisville's offense wasn't very good at running the football because the player who the running game ran through was injured. In years when Malik Cunningham was healthy, Louisville's offense was very good at running the football. We've gone over those statistics before. So the Bearcats are going to be better running the football if there's anything to bank on this season. This team will run the football better than last year. Louisville suggests that this team will have more creativity to its run game. There's a great piece by Justin Williams out in The Athletic talking about the legend behind the Scribble – what is it called? The Scribble Dibble or Scribble – whatever it's called. I think it's the Scribble Dibble. Um, And it's basically – an oral history of Scott Satterfield just scribbling in his notebook plays and play calls. That's how good of that That is how creative and detailed Scott Satterfield is. And I get it. You're going to tell me, "Oh, oh, Frankie, come on, stop talking about this. Satterfield's 25 and 24 at Louisville and you're hyping this guy up. What are you doing? Okay, that's fair. But again, sometimes there are things out of his control at Louisville that didn't lead to as many wins as maybe you would have liked. Now that he's the Bearcats head coach, maybe Louisville fans would have liked it if they're listening to this. But we've gone over the reasons why Louisville didn't win as many games. There were issues that were out of his control, Satterfield's control in the athletic department. There were issues with the defense. They didn't win high-scoring games because the defense couldn't get stops when it mattered. And so that's what contributed to the barely over 500 record. But what's interesting to me is how good Satterfield's offenses were outside of maybe last year. And I think that's what's going to be brought here to Cincinnati. And the great thing is you marry a better offense with a better defense that Brian Brown is going to have, first-year defensive coordinator, is going to have at Cincinnati as opposed to what he had at Louisville. This team is going to be, if the offense is better than what you think. Like, if if I asked you what your realistic expectations are for this offense, you might say, well, they'll score 25 points a game, and they'll maybe average 400 400 yards a game. And and, and if that's what they do, fine. I think it's going to be a little better than that in terms of yards per game. I don't know how good they're going to be at scoring. But what I, because a lot of red zone threats over the years are not here anymore, particularly Wiley and Taylor. But what is going to be, I think what's going to be better is you're going to see a very good running game, which is going to be able to keep your defense off the field, which in the big 12 is ultra important. And it's going to allow you to open up your passing game. If Emory Jones wins the starting quarterback, which, let's be honest, the starting quarterback battle is going to go all the way to right up until week one. If the offense is run by Emory Jones, this offense can be really good. I'm not saying they're going to come out and they're going to score 35 points against a very good Oklahoma team. But what I am saying is by the time they go to West Virginia, the weekend before Thanksgiving, they could be hitting their stride. And let's and for what it's worth, Louisville last year, I think we forget, or you might forget, Louisville was two and three, and then they finished seven and five. Like they hit their stride at the end of the season. They were a top twenty-five team in the college football playoff. Bearcats were the Bearcats did not make the top twenty-five until the very end of the season, and then they immediately fell out of it when they lost to Tulane. So there are reasons to believe. Now, the concerns for this offense, I know I'm running long on this segment. The concerns for this offense are, you only know two, maybe three starters on the offensive line. You don't know who's going to start a wide receiver, but the silver linings there are, you've you've got players have chances to break out. They're not on opposing team scouting reports. No one really knows what to expect and who is going to start personnel-wise on this Bearcats offense. What I'm saying is, that is a good thing. They can catch a lot of people by surprise. I think that's what the 2018 team did. 2019 was a bit of a struggle because defenses figured them out. And then the Bearcats offense adjusted in 2020 and in 2021. It's like the Bengals. The first seven weeks of Jamar Chase's rookie season, teams couldn't cover him. Weeks 8 through 13... Chase didn't really have a lot of big games. I think the most reception he had in the game was five. But then the Bengals' offense adjusted to what the defense adjusted previously. So that's what the Bearcats' offense is going to be able to do. They're going to be able to catch people by surprise. Can Scott Satterfield evolve as defenses adjust? That's a question we'll find out as this season rolls on. Coming up, the R word. But not the R word you're thinking of and how it applies to Cincinnati. I will explain that after I tell you how this episode of Locked on Bearcats is brought to you by Built Bar. So the Built March Madness bracket is here, and we know you have a favorite bar or a puff, and now is your time to make it count. Go to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites. You know I'll be voting for the cookie dough chunk puff, and if you want the Aztecs to win the night or you want the Huskies to win the night, then you'll be voting for that bar or puff. Uh, uh, that puff too. support your team, support your bar or a puff. And when you vote for your favorite bar or a puff, you'll be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky lockdown listeners will get a free box of bill. Not only that, but one lockdown fan will win a 12 month subscription to Built to have Built's best bars or puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. You've got to try built, built the best protein bar ever. Seriously. They're so amazing. You won't think they're good for you. Now, what makes Built Bars and Puffs so good? Well, for starters, they're all high in protein, low in sugar, and covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. Run to BuiltMarchMadness.com right now to vote for your favorite bar or puff and pick up a box while you're there. You can vote every day in March, or in this case, April. So hop in and support your pick. The R word, relevant. Relevancy. It's a word that I talk about a lot. Because growing up as Cincinnati sports fan, Bengals, Bearcats, Reds, wasn't fun. I, I got made fun of. And eventually I kind of just like joked around. I, I kind of played along with the joking around. Like, yeah, man, look, it's not easy. But now that the Bearcats are good, now that the... The Bengals are good. The Reds, I mean, that's a really encouraging series win for them over the weekend. Relevancy with the Bearcats in particular. This football program is relevant because of what they've done over the last five seasons. And I was talking to to someone yesterday about this. Really, it's not just the last five years. It's really the last 16 seasons. You go back to—I I mean, even—I mean—you go back to when Tony Pike first got the campus, and when Brian Kelly took over the program right after Mark D'Antonio. This this program has been relevant for most of the last fifteen plus seasons. Going back to like 2006, when the Bearcats finished eight and five, went to a bowl game, and in 2006, they won that bowl game, the International Bowl, which was played in Toronto. Weirdly enough, that team was five and five. They beat Rutgers to go to the to go to the play to go to get to become bowl eligible, and then. Beat, Western, beat Connecticut on the road. Finished 7-5. They ended the season on a two-game winning streak. And that team withstood a three-game losing streak at the start of the season. They played, they played four ranked teams that year. Four ranked teams. And went one in... Well, five ranked teams, actually. Five ranked teams that year. Wow. I didn't realize it was that many. But anyway, the point being here is... The last 17 seasons, really... They've been to a bowl game every season but three. So, when I say say the Bearcats are relevant, they've only had three seasons where they didn't make a bowl game. Three. And I get it. You want this program to be a playoff perennial. New Year's 6 perennial. Whatever you want them to be. 14 bowl games in 17 seasons is pretty darn good. Again, sometimes you have to remember where programs have been. If I mean, there, there is a generation of Bearcat fans that remember how bad the program was in the 80s, the 90s, and they didn't start to become good until Rick Mentor got here. Those fans, I'm sure, appreciate 14 bowl games in 17 seasons. My generation probably is like, the hell with that. We want more. Okay. But I also understand what it's like to be a fan of an irrelevant football team, particularly college football. I lived it in 2017, in 2016, and 2010. I lived through the team taking a nosedive in 2010. They played Pitt. I was at this game. In 2010... In December, snowing, freezing, and the Bearcats were terrible that year. First year post 9 they went four and eight, and that was not a fun. That was not a fun team to watch. Wasn't a fun team to root for. So when you experience your your team that you root for, or the team that maybe you even cover, see what's unique is, I I covered the Bearcats, as a journalist, a podcast host, but I also am a fan. So I have a vested interest. And so when the team I cover, in this case, the Bearcats, isn't very good, it doesn't make it fun for me because I don't like to cover losing teams. And it is part of the gig sometimes. Ask, a Browns, ask someone who's covered the Browns what that's like. No offense to them, but they'll tell you because the Browns have had a lot of losing seasons. I mean, when you cover a team who wins, it's fun. You're writing stories about, you know, what's leading to wins. You know, the locker room. You know, I give major credit to Paul Daner Jr. and Jay Morrison who covered the Bengals. And they covered the team during the lean years. Now they're covering a team who's playing for championships every year. So, relevancy matters to Cincinnati. This program right now, despite having a lot of questions And maybe in a rebuild, although I don't don't know if they really are in a rebuild, they're still relevant because of what they've done because it's Cincinnati. It's the Cincinnati Bearcats. And because they have the name Cincinnati in front of them, like you, like national media knows the city Cincinnati. Now you can say, well, they have a negative view of us. Okay. That's your opinion. I don't know if they – I mean, here's the thing. When you burst onto the scene, you're going to have those who say, okay, well, show me you can do it over multiple years. The Bengals have earned the national media's respect, maybe. I I, I think they have, in a way. The Bearcats, I think, have earned it a little bit. But it's because they they haven't been on the national scene – for decades, like Ohio State, like Georgia, or Bama, or Notre Dame, or Clemson even. Like, you gotta, I mean, there are still stripes to be earned. But, when you think about relevancy, the Bearcats are that because of what they've done. Now they're in the Big 12. They've had this great five-year run. Now, realistically, this team is probably going to be 7-5 and or 8-4 and this year. Is this a program... Ask yourself this question. Is this a program established enough to be relevant on a national level when they're having a quote-unquote down season? Teams, Think about teams who are nationally known, are on national TV every week in both college and the NFL. When they have underwhelming seasons. Clemson, they were talked about heavily in 2021 when they went only, what, 9-3? and three. Michigan, they're relevant when they are... T- Terrible. I mean, I remember most of my childhood. Well, actually, I shouldn't say most of my childhood, but a lot, but there were years. 08, 09, 2014. There were years where Michigan was terrible. Rich Rodriguez, Brady Hoke, that era kind of ran out a little bit. Not a little bit, it did. But... Michigan is relevant even when they're bad because of their huge alumni base and because they, I I think, I think they're the winningest program in college football history at the moment. So it's them, it's Ohio State, USC, Georgia, Georgia's relevant even when they're eight and five. They're on SEC on CBS or, well, I mean, that's going to be a thing in the past eventually, but Tennessee is relevant because they're, you know, Tennessee and I mean, they're hyped every single year and they did live up to it this past year. I'll give them credit for that. And then you think about new England, you think about Pittsburgh, you think about green Bay and the NFL, like those teams are relevant, regardless of if they have a great season or a mediocre season Are the Bearcats that, are they still going to be talked about? Even if, they only go seven and five or eight and four. That is a question that I I might even explore on tomorrow's show is are the bearcats relevant enough nationally to where, if they have a down season, they're still talked about? Or do they have to be very good every single year? And the same question can be applied to the Bengals. if the Bengals have a down year next year. Are they getting the same amount of coverage? And there's a lot of factors that go into it. In college football, it's are you a blue blood, a name brand program. In the NFL, it's do it's do you play in a big market? Are you the Dallas? Dow- I mean, the Cowboys are relevant every single year because they're the Dallas Cowboys. The Giants are relevant every year because of the New York Giants. Same with the Jets. Maybe the Niners, the Bears. I I, I would throw in there too. But like. There are, it's all about name brand, where you play, the market, the fan base. That's what it's all about. Are the Bearcats that? I might have to explore that question tomorrow. So consider that a tease. But I want to share my thoughts from this past weekend's final four games, including a remember when as it relates to the Bearcats after we hear from two of our sponsors. Final four weekend this past weekend, really, really enjoyed. Um, both games, the first game was fantastic. San Diego State and Florida Atlantic. I mean, that's what that, that's what it's all about. Only the fifth buzzer beater in Final Four history. And I, and I knew four. I, I forgot about Marquette's in 1971. I, 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 there were five, and I knew four of them. So Lamont, Lamont Butler, I mean, that was a tremendous shot. Well-executed final possession by San Diego State. And, and what stood out to me I'm to get to my remember when here in just a few minutes. But that end of the game, how poised San Diego State was compared to Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic had to call two timeouts in the last 40 seconds. San Diego State didn't call any. Or maybe they did. But FAU called timeout twice on their last offensive possession. San Diego State did not call a timeout in the last possession. That, to me, is what stood out. San Diego State was confident. Lamont Butler, who I know he was close, did not step out of bounds. He was close. He didn't. On the baseline, took all the time in the world that he could off the clock, launched a 15-footer. It it looked good when it left his hand. I I knew the shot was going in. San Diego State wins a thriller. You feel bad. You feel for Florida Atlantic because you don't know for a team like that for a mid-major. Now they are going to the Americans. So that's going to boost them. That's going to boost them as a program, but you never know if you're going to ever get back to that situation where you're up 14 in the second half. You're one defensive possession away from playing for a national championship. And I and I think the stat that's really telling is no team seeded nine or lower has ever won a final four game. We've seen eight seeds win in the Final Four, win national championships. I mean, UConn, who's playing for a national championship tonight, was the seventeen in 2014 when they won their last national championship. But to watch San Diego State come back from that 14-point deficit and the masterclass of offensive rebounding, shot selection, and poise, an unbelievable job done by Brian Dutcher, who has done a tremendous job with this program. I mean, this Aztec's team, you know, when you think about consistent mid-major programs, and if you want to consider San Diego State a mid-major program, or you you you, you can consider them major if you want to. But when you think about programs, when you think about consistent college basketball programs over the last 25 years, San Diego State kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. But when you look at what they've accomplished, and again, as I said last week, this is a team... And, you know, Cincinnati, I, I, I've always said they're a major program, but San Diego State, quite honestly, has had more success in the tournament than Cincinnati. The Bearcats have only been to uh, three Sweet 16s. Is it three? now two since 1996. San Diego State, Um. since San Diego State, has been in the Sweet 16 three times since 2011. NCAA tournament appearances, they've been in 0, 02, 6, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 18, 1, 2, and 3. So 13 NCAA tournament appearances in the last 18 seasons. Pretty good if you ask me. And that includes their first Elite Eight, their first. Uh, Final four, and now first national championship game appearance. They, I mean, they are now they are building a very very solid program out in San Diego, and I think for a city like them, who lost the Chargers a few years ago, the Padres are really good, and fans love the Padres out there. That's a very nice ballpark, but now you've got an NCAA tournament team playing for a national championship, and you know we've seen. Things get floated around about them potentially joining the Big 12 down the road. That'd be a good team to have, a good market to have. You know, I mean, hey, I don't want to trip out to San Diego and what, the winter in 70 degrees. So, really, really happy for them. And here's my remember when, though, from uh, the final four. So, I remember January and February 2019. The Bearcats played UConn twice that year. They beat them twice, 74-72 in overtime in the first game. That was a really good game. Played in in a snowstorm. Uh, 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 Well, the snowstorm is outside, obviously. But uh, the Bearcats did win that game. They beat them 64-60 in stores later in February. That was Dan Hurley's first season. Those games were competitive. The Bearcats-Yukon games are always competitive. Fast forward to next season. Bearcats win 67-51 at home in the conference opener. Then Yukon beat Cincinnati in in, uh, in the middle of February in I think it was uh I think that game was at the Gamble Pavilion, if I remember correctly. So UConn and Cincinnati split that season. But I remember saying to myself after that game, Dan Hurley's got this program going in a very, very positive direction. And I remember Dan Hurley's first season thinking to myself, this program is starting to look a little more competitive. I remember what Dan Hurley did at Rhode Island. He had some great seasons there. And now look what he's doing in UConn. In his fifth season as head coach, he's got this program back in the national, he's got him back in the national championship game. And I think what's helped them is playing in the Big East. That was what they needed. UConn is Big East, not the American. Like, look at the American teams, right? Look at the American teams, besides, exclude Cincinnati. Louisville was not an American team. They went to the ACC. Rutgers was was not an American team. They went to the Big Ten. I don't think there's any, well, USF, and USF was a Big East team, I guess. But look at the American right now, besides USF. You don't have any teams from the Big East. They all are now in what's now the Big East. UConn, Villanova, Marquette, St. John's. Those teams. UConn ever since... The, I remember sitting in my Gatlinburg hotel room when I saw the news that UConn was going back to the Big East. And I said, this is what Cincinnati needs. At the time, the Bearcats and the American weren't going to accomplish anything. It wasn't fun being in the American. The Big East, your own television deal, Madison Square Garden, Big East tournament, UConn needed that. And they got it. That is exactly what they have needed And they got it. And ever since then, they've been at three NCAA tournaments, and now they're they're playing for a national championship. Are you shocked? Shouldn't be. Let me ask you this trivia question. Since 1999, which college basketball program has the most national championships? Well, the answer is UConn. They have four national championships since 1999. No other school has more than three they could win their 5th tonight want to talk about a blue blood program Yukon belongs in that and by the way that's 5 national championships that they will have won with three different head coaches and three national championships with three different head coaches in the last 13 years and that's with having some down years so just think about that for a minute yukon was sensational on saturday to watch that team rip apart Miami, offensively and defensively. If Adama sonogo plays the way he did on Saturday tonight, the Aztecs have no chance. If UConn plays the way they've played all tournament, where they've won each game by 15 or more points, San Diego State has no chance. I think it's going to be an interesting game. Obviously, it's... Two non power five teams playing for a national championship. The last time that happened, I when was the last time that happened? I think it was 2011. Yeah, when Butler faced UConn. But I am, and by the way, the Big East has two national championships since the new Big East formed, and they're won both by Villanova. But the point here, and, and UConn's got a chance to make it three. So we could see the fourth non-Power 5 team win a national championship. Tonight. In the last 10 seasons. Or we could see the first West Coast team since Arizona in 97 win a national championship. So a lot of stake tonight. I like UConn and according to FanDuel. I like UConn tonight just because they've been playing so well. And I, If San Diego State falls behind tonight, they've got no chance. So, if I can get the FanDuel odds for tonight's hmm, – for tonight's – National championship game. I'm trying to get the. Well, Uh, anyway, I just like UConn tonight because, and you talk about Jordan Hawkins playing with the stomach flu on Saturday night. I mean, that was tough. And Andre Jackson, Alex Caravan. I mean, this UConn team, and John Rothstein had a really interesting stat. UConn, since '99, when they made the Final Four for the first time, they have only lost one game in the Final Four, and that was 2009 when they lost to Michigan State. So every year besides 2009, every year since 2009, They have played – I'm not going to be able to get the – in the fan duel. That's okay. Um, Every year since 99 that they've made the final four besides 2009, they've won the national championship. How about that? Two of those – or actually, three of those have come in Texas, so this could be the fourth. Looking forward to the national championship game tonight. Looking forward to talking to you tomorrow. I'm going to expand on that topic. Are the Bearcats nationally relevant enough? And again, you look at Cincinnati – and you look at what UConn's done, and you look at what San Diego State is doing, puts a little more pressure on the Bearcats to get back to that tournament. Back tomorrow, Lockdown Bearcats. How national, are the Bearcats relevant enough nationally to still be talked about if they have a quote-unquote down season? We'll get to that tomorrow. Thanks for making Lockdown Bearcats your first listen every day. For your second listen, check out our brand-new podcast, Locked On College Basketball experts Isaac Shade and Andy Patton bring you everything you need to know on and off the court, plus hear from big-name experts, coaches, and players throughout the basketball landscape. Locked On College Basketball is available on YouTube and wherever you excuse me, get your podcasts. I'm on Twitter at Frankie underscore Daddy with two N's, N-N-A-T-I, Instagram AlexFrank Nine underscore, and email Alex3Frank at gmail.com. Back tomorrow with a new episode of Locked On Bearcats Wednesday look at who the Bearcats could target on the defensive side in the transfer portal Thursday. I'll be joined by Zach Freeze and Sean McMahon. And on Zach Freeze of the Freeze Frame podcast, Sean McMahon's producer at iHeartMedia Cincinnati. Friday, the podcast form of our live room with Russ Heltman, my colleague at all Bearcats and Sports Illustrated. Looking forward to getting back to that this week. Enjoy the National Championship game tonight. San Diego, San UConn. I like UConn by 10 points tonight to cut down the nets in Houston. And Jim Nance's last ever national championship game broadcast. That is going to be hard to watch for me as a college basketball fan. But looking forward to being back with you tomorrow right here on Lockdown Bearcats, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every single day. I'm Alex Frank for Lockdown Bearcats. Did I say my social media? Yes, I did. Have a great rest of your day, and I'll be back tomorrow right here on Lockdown Bearcats.